We've always believed in something called progress. It's time to get lit. What kind of lit? Health lit. That's what I'm talking about. It's time to get educated about health conditions affecting our community. Your health is very important. Check in with experts on important topics like breast cancer, diabetes, prematurity, and much more. This show is lit. No one should know you better than you. So lock in. Welcome to Your Health is Lit. The Your Health is Lit podcast is an educational platform presenting evidence-based medical information. The content on the show is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare professional with any questions that you may have regarding your medical condition. Remember, Your Health is Lit. Hey guys, it's your girl Charlotte Walker, aka the PDMP, here for the Your Health is Lit podcast. So, we are officially on the lookout for interns. So, if you have a college age student that's interested in health, interested in business, um, we are definitely looking to expand our team and excited that we are officially on the hunt for interns and offering internships. So, if you know someone who is interested, in the podcast, interested in leadership and mentorship, have them send their resumes to admin, A-D-M-I-N, at yourhealthislate.com, and we will start the interview process very, very soon. Super excited about this opportunity and have um, the ability to bring nursing students and business students in on um, the project. So we are super excited about that. Now let's hop into lit news. So um, I read this article and I thought it was hysterical. Um, I was born in the 90s, so I think the 90s were a great time. But there are some things that, um, you know, we should leave in the past. And one of those things being chickenpox parties. So there was um, the Kentucky governor, Matt Beaven, who had said that he had um, purposefully had his children, his nine unvaccinated children, um, exposed to chickenpox and stated that they were miserable for a few days, but they all turned out fine. And this is something they used to have um, these like chickenpox parties back in the day. But let me tell you why it's a bad idea. <laughs> because um, chickenpox, or not really chickenpox, and I feel like that makes it um, a lot less scary than what it actually is. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but the varicella uh, zoster virus is and can be dangerous, which is why we vaccinate. So there was a study um, a couple months ago about an 11-month-old who had caught chickenpox and had a stroke. Um, and according to the CDC, over 3.5 million cases of chickenpox are diagnosed um, and 9,000 hospitalizations and a hundred deaths were prevented um, because we now have a vaccine. So, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, well, you know, I feel like it's better for um, their immunity for them to get the full virus, but that the full virus has far greater and more serious risks. And so we're going to talk about a couple of those really quick. So complications from the chicken box include pneumonia, hepatitis, um, brain swelling, which is a disease called encephalitis, um, Ray syndrome, and all in all, kids just are miserable <laughs> when they have the chicken pox. It's itchy, they have difficulty sleeping, there's fevers, and they miss about up to 10 days of school. 
Um, and you can get a vaccine and prevent all of this. So um, I just wanted to say, we're gonna cancel chicken pox parties. And we're gonna talk to Governor Beaven about him exposing his children to chicken pox. <laughs> Did you know that the chicken pox virus could cause hepatitis, pneumonia, brain disorders? Let me know. So it is Minority Health Awareness Month. And all month, we're going to be talking about um, different topics. So Minority Health Awareness Month, it's Autism Awareness Month, um, and Sexual Assault Awareness Month. And we are going to be bringing you guys some really great information on all of these topics. So this um, episode, we are going to be talking about a disease that really plagues our community, but we don't really talk about it a lot, and that is asthma. So in 2015, there are almost 2.6 million non-Hispanic Blacks reported to have asthma. Um, African-American women are 20% more likely to have asthma than non-Hispanic um, whites. In 2014, African-Americans were three times more likely to die from asthma-related causes um, than the white population. In 2015, the um, death rate of our children were 10 times that of our um, non-Hispanic white counterparts. Um, black children are also four times more likely to be admitted to the hospital for asthma. And while the, the um, actual cause of asthma or all of the causes of asthma are unclear, children who are exposed to secondhand smoke exposure um, are at an increased risk for lower respiratory tract infections such as um, bronchitis. Children living below or near the poverty level are also more likely to have high levels of blood continine, which is a breakdown product of nicotine um, that children have, than like children in higher income earning families. So did you know that through secondhand smoke, your children are um, their blood, like in their blood, they can tell whether or not they've been exposed to secondhand smoke. That was actually something that I, you know, was new information to me. So let's talk a little bit about asthma. So asthma is what we, it's a hyperreactivity of your lungs. So whereas some people are able to be around things like pet dander or um, smoke is a really big one. People with asthma, this causes an inflammation, like an inflammatory response in their lungs, which leads to wheezing, coughing, um, shortness of breath. And what happens is we, and I say we because I have asthma, <laughs> we, we need our inhalers um, to help manage and so there's a couple different things that you want to think about. First things first is to identify and avoid your triggers. And I don't mean people who trigger you. I mean your asthma triggers. So for me, smoke is a really big one. Um, fresh, cut, fresh cut grass. Um, just my lungs do not particularly care for it. And when my dogs are really dirty, it, is a problem, so we have to bathe them more frequently. So because I know these things, I'm able to kind of make some environmental controls. So we, I avoid 
um, going places that are crowded or smoky places, I make sure that I always have my rescue inhaler with me. Um, I make sure that my dogs are bathed frequently. I clean my house frequently because dust can also make my asthma act up. Um, having a hypoallergenic mattress cover, which you can get from um, like, uh, like a Walmart or Target and putting that on your mattress can help with dust mites. Um, making sure that you're changing your air filter in your home frequently also can help with managing asthma from an environmental standpoint. So you can't get rid of the asthma, but you identify those triggers and then you remove them. And so that's one of the biggest pieces of asthma management that I think a lot of us um, don't really understand is like it matters even if you smoke outside and come back in the house that secondhand exposure is enough to trigger somebody to have an asthma attack it has happened to me several times um and i feel like i also want to discuss really quickly kind of what that looks like i think because of television and other things we always associate an asthma attack with like a full-blown I can't breathe I can't breathe wheezing and this you know <gasps> that's not always an asthma attack sometimes an asthma flare may be something as simple as like a persistent cough like you've been exposed to something and you cough 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 and you feel like you can't catch your full breath that is the time to then first remove whatever is causing it and then secondly, to use your inhaler. So I think that sometimes we may not understand how quickly um, the respiratory status can change and also being able to identify the beginning of an asthma flare so we can address those things um, and stop it before you go into full what we call status asthmaticus is when you're having a severe asthma exacerbation. Um, and I think it's also important to understand what tools that you have available to you when you're looking to manage your asthma. So let's talk about a couple of those. The first tool that you have is um, an asthma control test. And every time you go into your physician's office, um, they should have you complete an asthma control test. The reason for this being is there is a magic number. Um, typically, it's about 19. So all of these questions add up to um, different, like have different values based on, you know, it'll ask you in the last four months, how often have you had daytime or nighttime asthma symptoms? How do you feel? How have you felt over the last um, uh, four weeks or so? This allows us the opportunity to gauge how we're doing with managing your asthma. If the last time you came, your score was a 25, and this time I see that your score is an 18, or even a 19, which is still good, what things changed to where you're, you're now um, at a 19, and previously we had great control, you were at a 25, and that opens up a line of communication for you and your provider to kind of figure out what things we may need to change in regards to managing your asthma. Is it, you know, now that spring has sprung, we need to do your asthma medications and maybe you have some allergic rhinitis, which is seasonal allergies. Maybe you have some allergic rhinitis. Maybe we need to add some, <clears throat> excuse me, some um, allergy management 
medication during these couple of months to see if we can get you back to a 25. So uh, what a lot of people may not know is that allergies, seasonal allergies or allergies period, asthma and eczema um, often can correlate with each other. That does not mean that if you have one, you will absolutely have all three, but it is not uncommon for people like myself. I have allergies, I have eczema, and I have asthma. Allergy-induced asthma, but asthma nonetheless. Um, and it's called the atopic triad. So you can have one all by itself, but a lot of times these things can go hand in hand. So even though you may not have previously had an asthma diagnosis, if we see that your control is, is not what it used to be around a certain time of year, we can probably go, you know what, let's get you allergy tested. Let's make sure there's not something that we're missing here. Let's trial you on some allergy meds and add it to your regimen to see if that um, will help with the amount of control we have over your asthma. So your asthma control tests are a really big thing. And anytime you go into the doctor's office, I know in clinic, even if the kiddo is coming in for a stomach ache, that has nothing to do with their asthma per se, but that is an opportunity for us to say, okay, do this asthma control test, and let's also talk about your asthma. So every time we see kids in clinic, if they have an asthma diagnosis, we are touching base. Do you need refills on your medication? Do you have everything you need? Do you need an updated asthma control plan? So that is the next part of our um, arsenal of tools that you have. It is an asthma action plan. An asthma action plan is a plan, um, and a lot of, there's a lot of different variations. So, <clears throat> excuse me, the one that I absolutely love is a green light, yellow light, red light. So the green light means that your asthma is great, and it gives you a list of exactly what to do, what medications you take on days that you feel great. So for some people, who have um, what we call persistent or moderate persistent asthma, um, they take a controller medication, which could be like Singular or Montelukast. Um, you have like Advair inhalers, Flovent inhalers, all of these inhalers that you take every day, no matter what, to help keep you from having an asthma flare. Then there are people like myself who have like intermittent asthma. So I don't always have asthma symptoms. So I only have what's called a rescue inhaler. So that can be Flovent, that could be, not Flovent, I'm sorry, that's a controller. That could be Ventolin, um, Pro-Air. These inhalers are short-acting inhalers and they help you in the event of an emergency. These are the ones that you take, you can have up to two puffs every four hours. You, um, for some kiddos that have, issues with like physical activity. They do two puffs of their inhaler prior to physical activity to help, you know, keep their airways opened up. And so they don't have that exercise induced asthma exacerbation. So the green light is like, we take your, when you're on a controller, you take your controller every day, green, yellow, or red. Every day you do your controller. If you have a yellow day, it'll say, take your controller and also take your pro air inhaler or your rescue inhaler, you know, as needed. Then on a red day, you're really, really bad. This is when you call the doctor's office. You let us know that you're feeling horrible. 
you make an appointment. You come in and see us, we may give you a, um, you know, a dose of oral steroids, and it kind of has an emergency plan. And then um, what to do and when to proceed to the emergency department. I love this because sometimes it can be confusing for people as to like, what inhalers do I use every day? Which one's which? So make sure that you have an asthma action plan. Make sure that you have copies. If you have a kiddo that has asthma, I always put off a couple of copies. One for at home, one for the school, one for the after school program, one if they go to grandma's house, one for grandma's house. If they're in a duel, you know, they have two households. Print one for everybody. Everybody should have this up on the fridge somewhere where everybody can see it. So in the event of an emergency, you know exactly what to do. And on those um, stoplight um, asthma action plans, the symptoms are listed. Like this is kind of what a green day looks like. This is what a yellow day looks like. Um, I've even seen them for patients who may not have the capability to read. Um, we've had like pictorial um, asthma action plans. And so if you are, are a part of our Facebook group, um, the asthma control test and asthma action plan has been uploaded into our files. So you can kind of see what they look like and have an opportunity if you need to, to take that to your doctor and ask them, hey, what is my asthma action plan? Um, so that is available to you in our Facebook group right now. Um, so the biggest things to remember, know and avoid your triggers. Do those environmental things that you can do to help control your asthma. Don't, if you have a child with asthma, please don't smoke around them. They're not able to tell you, but I'm going to tell you. It's miserable. You feel like you cannot breathe. And it, it, it really is a struggle. When I have an asthma flare, I've, I have not had a severe exacerbation in, in many, many years. But even when I'm walking outside and we're at a restaurant and somebody's smoking, I just, I'm like, I dread it because I know that my poor little lungs are like, nope. <laughs> oh boy, we're about to, we're about to kill it, kill the smoke. Um, and so I always keep my inhaler on me because you never know. So avoid those triggers and do those things that you can do um, to make sure that you are doing as much as you can to avoid these exacerbations. Um, make sure that you talk to your doctor and understand what type of asthma you have and understand all of your medications. Make sure you have an asthma action plan. Um, you know, there's a difference between a rescue inhaler and a controller. If you take your controller while you're in the middle of an acute exacerbation, it's not going to help you. You need your rescue. It works differently. Um, so be able to identify which, one, which ones you have and you understand when to use which. And remember that asthma attacks do not always look like severe respiratory distress at first. And so be able to understand those signs, those early signs, so we can avoid um, ER visits and hospital stays. I was going to say um, pediatric ICU, but you can be in the big people ICU with asthma and hospital stays, okay? So Avoid your triggers, man. It really makes a world of difference. If you have allergies, make sure you're taking your allergy medication so that you can um, you can also help manage because a lot of times these allergies during allergy season, I'm extra extra more careful <laughs> with my asthma um, just because I know that the allergies. I, 
my allergies in and of themselves can cause a flare. So if you have any questions, you guys can always reach out to us um, about asthma, asthma management. I'm here for it. Um, and make sure that you are fully aware and understanding. This is one of those things like you need to know your meds and know when to take them because it does not take a lot of time to go from like a flare to status asthmaticus. It can happen in a matter of minutes. So understand what's going on. Um, sometimes doctors will send you out to the pulmonologist, which is a lung doctor. They can do um, what we call uh, pulmonary function tests or PFTs where they have you like blow and they're able to see how much lung capacity you have. So if you need, you know, your asthma can be managed by your primary care, but if you need to, and if you feel like you are not getting um, exactly what you need, you can ask to see the pulmonologist and, um, and to see the specialist about your asthma management. That's completely appropriate. So let's hop into our health highlight. Um, I absolutely love this story. So there's a story about Miss Faye Lewis. Um, she's a 27-year-old who had so many things happen in her life that she overcame. She um, was in school. She was following in her mother's footsteps to become a certified nursing assistant. Everything was going well. She had scholarships. And then at the end of her first year, she got two Bs and she um, wasn't accepted into nursing school. And then she got pregnant. She like was retaking classes. She worked so hard. Um, and she did all of this while she was working at KFC. So she, um, by 2010, had completed her CNA training. Then she completed her LPN training. And she was working as an LPN and also as at KFC. And um, went back and got her associate's degree in nursing. And about a week into her... Um, About a week into her program, she got a call that her father, her three cousins, and her, do her dog had all um, died in a house fire. And her mom had made it out alive by the grace of God. And she overcame all of these things and has now completed her bachelor's degree. Um, so she went from KFC employee to CNA to LPN to associate um, nurse to a bachelor prepared nurse. And she is definitely um, on the road to doing great things. And it's just an amazing, awesome testimony. And so I just thought that, that we were going to highlight Miss Faye Lewis because that is an amazing testimony to share. Um, nursing school is hard. And so it's for her to be able to overcome that adversity is amazing. And just something to definitely um, inspire those people who may be in the middle of nursing school thinking about nursing school. You can overcome it. You can do it. I have, everything seemed to go to the left when I was, <laughs> both times I was in school. Um, and you, you really do have to rely on God and your support system. and. Um, and everything else 
to, to get through, but it is doable. So I just want to encourage you guys, do not allow anything to deter you from your dreams. Be like Miss Faye Lewis, who was willing in the season to work in the trenches um, to, to reap the benefits of her hard work and her persistence. So that has been another episode of the Your Health is Lit podcast. I will see you guys next week.